With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome in to the Purple Row Pebble Report Podcast. We are here to present only the finest hour of minor league coverage for your Colorado Rockies. Featuring insights, oversights, foresights, any other good sight from SB Nation's affiliate site of the Colorado Rockies. And always, we are here to have an absolute blast cranking it out for you guys. My name is Justin Wick. I am an editor for Purple Row, joined as always by my co-host, prospect guru, men's league legend in the city of Denver, and Purple Row staff writer, Mr. Kenneth Weber. Kenneth, we got the trade deadline approaching us. We've got all kinds of routine minor league action. We're, of course, post-All-Star break. And, you know, you're in the thick of it up there in Denver. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm actually bringing the uh, near sight into this this podcast because that's <laughs> that's what my prescription calls for. So that was the only one that we uh, we didn't touch on. Man, I'm not going to lie. I just kept rolling with the sight thing there. I'm mm-hmm. glad somebody called me out on that. <laughs> <laughs> Man, over the next hour or so, we're here to map out the work of Elihuris Montero pushing his season OPS over 900. We're here to highlight the big league call-up of recent infielder Riel Ruiz and the AAA body of work of utility man Taylor Motter. We are going to kick things off with the recent performance of Zach Veen, but first we had some kind of monumental news out here in the Rockies organization, and that was a trade deadline acquisition for the minor league ranks of the Colorado Rockies. This pushing right through, our record date is Wednesday, July 28, 2021. And we have officially bid farewell to one Michael Givens, who is now a member of the Cincinnati Reds. So we officially have to revoke Michael Givens' Purple Pebble. We now give him a Red Pebble. And we give a Purple Pebble back to Case Williams, draftee from 2020, alumni of Castle Rock's Douglas County High School. We're also welcoming alongside him his teammate in A-ball, Noah Davis, 26th-ranked prospect of the Red system, is coming through. We'll keep this relatively short because I'm sure that every single news media outlet in Rocky's lore is going to be covering this at some point. But I guess initial re- initial regard for this kind of trade, what did you see out of Williams? What have you seen out of Davis? And I figured it was kind of to be expected that Michael Givens was probably going to be a big bullpen acquisition that was on his presumable way out. Do you think the Rockies got a pretty good deal, at least with the prospects that they're bringing in on this? Yeah, I, I mean... Givens was definitely going to depart in the offseason for nothing, so to get something for him, um, just names aside, is good. And, you know, I worry that it's going to be the Rockies' only trade of the deadline. Um, So that's not a huge surprise that Givens is the guy who goes, at the very least. Um, Williams, you know, I mean, they liked him enough to take him completely off the board in the fourth round um, in 2020. It's been his exposure to pro ball this year that's kind of, you know, biting him. But, hey, that's to be expected when you're drafted straight out of high school and going into the professional ranks. Um, And then Noah Davis, too. He's a bit of a wild card. He had Tommy John surgery. 
um, at the end of 2019. 2020 was a complete wash for everybody. Um, so he's kind of just getting back into the swing of things, but 77 strikeouts in 65 innings. That's good. Uh, he's only given up 44 hits in those 65 innings, but he's also walked 35 and hit 12 during that time. So uh, I don't know if you like the, the, the fun that Sam Weatherly provides on a night, good <laughs> or bad. This is kind of of that elk. So there's at least that. I mean, it's, it's a fine lottery ticket um, for, for Givens. So can't hate it because you got something for a reliever that's going to depart in the offseason anyways. You knew that you probably weren't going to be able to get much for him whatsoever if something like this didn't come together. So sure, two arms out of a ball. It is kind of a small pull for the Rockies. But at the same time, I think something at least deserving to be noted is the director of pitching up there for the Cincinnati Reds is Kyle Bodie, who is big-time Kyle Bodie of driveline baseball. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's going to be kind of uplifting to see what did Case Williams pick up in his time with the Reds? What did Noah Davis pick up in his time with the Reds? They were both teammates in A-ball playing out in Daytona. And I think it's going to be cool, assuming that they find themselves, I'm guessing probably Fresno is the presumable landing spot for these two guys. I think that it could do wonders as far as the two of them coming together, having these discussions with the pitching staff, with a young group of guys that was able to kind of see this is what the Reds were doing. Maybe there's something that the Rockies can at least pick up and develop on. It's not intended to call anybody out by any means, but it's kind of a fun take to be able to piece this together, and you know, you never know what kind of stories are going to come out of something like this, and hopefully it's constructive for the best of everybody. So on behalf of that, welcome into the crew once again, Noah Davis and Case Williams. It was a it was, that was a short-lived farewell for Case Williams right here. The Colorado kid's on his way back already. That was a very slow way of coming full circle for the Rockies from this <laughs> offseason. Man. Well, anyways, needless to say, Noah Davis from California, he's also joining the Colorado crew. Um, look out, you people out there in Fresno that are tuning in. Again, that's probably where these guys are going to land. I Would you say probably Fresno? I, I think maybe Spokane. I guess they were in high A in the, in the red system, so it could easily be, Stobo, be Spokane in that ranks. Uh, with the way that Williams has gone this year i think fresno makes the most sense especially considering that a lot of that fresno group has already graduated to spokane this year so i think one there's a little bit more opportunity in fresno for for williams um and then when it comes to davis i mean he was in high a he was having a success a demotion doesn't necessarily make sense as an introduction to an organization so i would expect that he goes to spokane uh, but I could see the case being made for both of them to start in Fresno and work their way up, given the opportunities that are probably down there instead of in Spokane, where it's a little bit more filled right now, especially in the rotation. That is very true. And I suppose we can't forget about Noah Davis's recovery from Tommy John surgery. Mm-hmm. He could very well be isolated to the rehab side of things down there at Salt River Fields in Arizona. So we might have to be a little patient before we're able to see Noah Davis lace up those spikes in a Rockies affiliate uniform. But we're going to transition now to a guy that has been one of the hottest players in the entire minor league ranks. And that hot player is a guy down in Fresno by the name of Zach Veen, the Rockies' first-round selection in 2020, current outfielder in Fresno. He has been leaving the yard at an increased clip. He's been getting on base at an increased clip. All signs are showing this is an outfielder for the future. And, Kenneth, I just want to start the discussion here, speaking of moving up through the ranks. Is this everything that you would have imagined from this guy? Is this everything that we hoped for? And 
you know, we can't forget he is a very young player still, but he has absolutely dominated the game in Fresno. Is it too early to start talking about a timetable for this guy, or should we just enjoy it for what it is right now? I think you definitely enjoy it for what it is, just because, I mean, this was him completely bursting onto the scene in July in kind of a national minor league sense. Um, but a big takeaway from this is you see the star potential there because, I mean, he was far and away the best player, at least in the low-A West um, over July. And you can make a case in kind of all of the minor leagues, uh, aside from maybe a couple of names and some of the biggest names that are really banging on the door of the major leagues with other organizations. So um, if it keeps on going like this for the rest of the season, then I think you have the conversation in the offseason of, okay, how far away is it really? But for now, you're so happy for the breakout and you see that that star potential, that ability to just completely take over a league, he showed it in July. So it's it's uh, definitely leaving a very good taste in everybody's mouth and making you think of the possibilities moving forward. It's been fun to see the momentum from this, especially, you know, it's, it's really easy to just forget that this is a high school draftee that is in his first full year of pro ball. Sure, mm-hmm. 2020 kind of maybe gave him a little bit of taste. Well, it didn't give him much of a taste at all because he couldn't play in a Rockies you know, yeah. affiliate game that year. They got to see the but, complex, and that was about it. Yeah, no kidding. He got a plane ticket, and then he got sent back home, kind of. <laughs> but I think that it is cool. I figured it was almost to be expected that a player like him or even a player like Drew Romo, some of these younger guys that are first coming onto the scene this spring, I figured it was going to take them a little bit of time to really get acclimated because this is their first dive into professional baseball, and there was such a long anticipation associated with the draft last year. They had to progress so long until they could even make it to spring training, which also was delayed for the minor league guys. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's fun to be able to follow this and see that, you know, I look at at least the slash line that he's put together. This has certainly jumped as far as what it was before July versus now at this point in the season where we are. 284 average, on base is 393, which, you know, we're pushing some serious details there, slugging an even 500. So his OPS is pushing 900, which is pretty darn good for a 19-year-old. And something that I was curious about as far as lineup construction was concerned, you know, he's also left the yard, I believe, almost 80 or 90% of his home runs in the entire season have come in the month of July. So nine out of 11. Nine out of 11, there you go. Mm-hmm. So anyways, he's got that on-base percentage that he's pushing about 400, which certainly suggests this is a guy that could be a considerable force at the top of the order. But is there something as far as where you would like to see him hit? He's He's got a lot of adv- advantages as far as what he's been putting together. But at the same time, is it kind of too early to even predict this? Again, should we just let him do his thing wherever it is? Uh, I mean, there's plenty of development left, but one thing that wasn't really mentioned is the speed component of Veen. He also has been leading the Rockies affiliates in stolen bases pretty much the entire season. So it's not one of those where it's maybe a Toglia, where there's going to be a lot of thump on it, but he's not necessarily going to be that threat to advance bases a lot once he does get on. Um, Veen is that. So if you want to look long-term on the potential with it, also with the way that major league lineup construction has changed over our lifetimes. Two-hole has kind of become that three-hole a little bit for it. And he would seem like an ideal guy when you look at somebody like, I don't know, Tovar, maybe Isaac Collins or something who can be a high on base and also have some speed components to their game being maybe that leadoff caliber type of guy. Think like what Tapia is now, basically. Um, 
Veen is the power. Veen has the speed. Veen has the contact ability to be that huge threat that the two hole in the lineup is typically used as now. So initial impression, it sure would look good there, but you know, we'll, we'll talk in two years and see how we feel <laughs> at that time too. No kidding. I mean, the maturation process for so many of these guys can be so different as time goes on, but you mentioned those stolen bases. He's collected 27 of them. He's been caught stealing 11 times, which, I mean, 27 versus 11, that's still, I mean, the fact that you're putting yourself in those situations as much as you are is, I mean, that's huge. And at the same time, even independent of his speed, this is the first time he's getting jumps off of professional pitchers. So sure, call it low A, but... You know, this is a pretty refined sense of, you know, you're putting yourself in these positions. It's presumable the Rockies organization is probably telling him, take these chances, just show what you can do and get used to it, get comfortable putting mm-hmm. yourself into this. And I think you're exactly right talking about what we see with Ryan Meltapia at the top of the Rockies order. That certainly seems like kind of a similar speed development, but at the same time, we're also seeing some power that's almost unheard of as far as what we're at least accustomed to seeing out of a Rockies outfielder paired with that kind of speed. So I think that's the excitement factor, of course, the expansive Colorado outfield at Coors Field. It seems like it's fitting perfectly for everything that you want this guy to be. And, I mean, it, it's exciting. Like, I mean, I don't really know what more to say other than just this kid's been absolutely dominating the game right here. It, yeah, no, totally. And just to, to be clear on my point, I think a, a Tapia would be a table setter for a Veen. Sure. Um, because Tapia is, you know, kind of high contact, not necessarily the power. Veen absolutely does have the power with it. So um, he's playing an aggressive brand of baseball, uh, as you mentioned, with the stolen bases. So that's encouraging to see. And I think that just the more reps that he gets on the base running side of it, the better he's going to be at having a stolen base percentage up in that 75-80% range. But you got to take your lumps a little bit before. Um, you mentioned that the expanse of Coors Field playing in the outfield. One thing of note with Veen is he's been primarily in right field um, for Fresno. So it kind of seems like that's what they have in mind for him moving forward. There was some thought about him possibly being a center fielder uh, once he was heading into this season. So it kind of sounds like they have it set on his place, which is a good thing. I mean, he's going to be a great right fielder with his athleticism, with his arm strength. So it's not a bad thing, but... That's just something of note. Um, And, I mean, the exposure, getting set in pro ball, you saw it through the first couple of months with him. July is when everything really just seems like it really started to click for him. The average rose from 265 to 284, and he had a straight-up 100-point increase on his slugging percentage from 400 to 500. So Romo kind of came out of the gate pretty steady, hitting a little bit and kind of got us excited from the get-go. Veen took a while to acclimate, but, man, he took off in July. So, as we talked about, it's super, super exciting to see the progress that he made this past month. We've got a huge taste on a lot of those 2020 draftees really coming through, and those people out in Fresno are getting spoiled on that kind of thing. Best team in California for, like, That's any true. baseball. <laughs> and you get to play in an old AAA ballpark. That's not all that bad of a setup right? either. <laughs> One thing I do want to add, I guess the old adage of, I guess commonly, you put your quickest guy in center, your best glove in left, your best arm in right. I think it kind of speaks volumes to talking about this is truly a five-tool player that Mm -hmm. we're really seeing with Zach Veen. And especially in a low-A rank where, let's say, you have an outfielder that just has an absolute cannon and you just kind of isolate them to right field because they're the ones making the throws across the diamond. 
I think it's it's very cool and uplifting to really get a full comprehensive sense of all of the tools that Zach Veen is really putting together. And you can keep catching a glimpse of this guy all season long. They're taking on the Lake Elsinore storm out there in Lake Elsinore, California. I saw a picture on Twitter of their ballpark, and it's looking as good as ever. I've always um, liked their logo. Yeah, I was just that's one that's dated yeah. back for a while, but I've always liked the Storm's <laughs> logo. We're getting this out of the way early, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. You can catch a glimpse of one of the most unique hats in the miners, the Lake Elsinore Storm. Type that into Google. Go on to lids.com. Make something. sure you have all the li- uh, the uh, lights turned off in your room, too. You really scare yourself, man. These <laughs> ominous eyes just staring you down. It's just ridiculous. I think I remember a kid that I went to elementary school with had a hat like this, and I didn't know what it was, and I think he just wore it to scare people. Yeah. But, yeah, unlike anything you've ever seen before, you know, big tip of the cap for them being innovative, but it kind of creeps the hell out of me if I'm being <laughs> So I got a question for you, because we talked about Veen's uh, positioning and kind of a traditional setup with strong field, best range, best arm, left to right. Sure. How does Coors Field change it for you? If at all, because in my mind, I feel like the athleticism and the arm almost plays better in left field and Coors than it would be in right field, where you have the auxiliary scoreboard, you have a little bit less range that you have to worry about, and it's a little bit more brought in on that right center gap as opposed to left center, which is the longest part of the ballpark. Does that that change anything in your mind? Do you see left maybe being the better spot for him when he lands? You know, the instant thing that I thought of as far as Charlie Blackman being in right field, Mm -hmm. I think that he was kind of pushed there for his own personal longevity of it's not necessarily as taxing of a position to play in in right field. So I I would definitely second that as far as the expanse of what it has been. I think that, I guess historically, and this might be a limited history just because the Rockies haven't been around too long, but some of their higher tenured outfielders, it seems like they've often moved from the middle spot to the corners, and it's usually right field for, it's kind of the similar sense of Buster Posey moving from catcher to taking a lot more reps at first base. Mm -hmm. Charlie Blackman went from center field to right field at Coors Field. So I think as far as, I guess the only reason I would recommend putting Veen in right in Colorado is if they really want to just preserve him from the get-go. Sure. I guess that's the only advantageous way I could think about it. You also want to capitalize on this guy while you can, and I think the best way to handle it would be definitely to put him in left field. We've seen that with the current lineup of the Rockies outfield. Their quicker guys are generally in center and left, even to this day, as far as what the current lineup makes out. So I... Boy, I mean, if he's such a generational talent, I'm curious if there's some ulterior motive that they're going to try to keep him in right for that reason. Yeah, it's not to say that the Rockies have necessarily done it that way, though, too, because um, what clicked in my head, talking about the preservation, I mean, we talk about Blackman. Blackman was already a little bit longer in the tooth by the point that he got moved to right field in the first place. Um, What you mentioned on the preservation of the body really reminded me of Cargo specifically yes, that's what I was and so about. cargo was a great center fielder but you had to keep that bat in the lineup and so he got moved to right field primarily instead of left even though he had the athleticism to be a better left fielder uh, or at least one of the better left fielders that we could have put out there to cover a little bit more ground so you know it, it's just a thought I've always wondered do you treat left field like a second center field and then do you treat right field like they like a team would traditionally treat their left field um, they haven't always necessarily done it that way, but I mean, we got Benny Montgomery, supreme athlete who might be coming on the horizon too. If he shows he can handle center field and you put Veen in left, 
man, that's a lot of balls in the gap, a lot of area to cover, but you might have two guys that can actually do it. So it's just an interesting thought. We'll see how that progresses as, as time goes on. It will be very captivating to follow catch probability here on the horizon <laughs> for what the Rockies have going on. Yeah, It seems like they definitely have the pieces to make it work, and presumably Benny Montgomery getting his start in Fresno. Those guys down there in low eight might get at least a preliminary chance on what's going on. So a lot of fun stuff to be able to watch offensively and defensively. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. We're going to highlight the recent performance of another key prospect. That is Elihuris Montero, corner infielder at AA Hartford. We will cover the Rio Ruiz call-up as well, and then we'll bury ourselves into some more trade deadline news, more than likely. It's a serious time to be a Rockies fan at both the major and minor league levels. So we'll continue unpacking all these details. Thanks again for tuning in, and you are listening to the Purple Row Pebble Report Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pebble Report podcast, and welcome to a little section where we give Double A corner infielder Elhuris Montero a huge shout out for all the good work that he has been putting together. Kenneth, I will turn this over to you because you cranked out all this deep research on our guy right here. Let us know all the impressive stuff that Mr. Montero has been putting together over this past month. I mean, it's pretty similar to what we were talking about with Veen, except for this is at the Double A level now, so... For the month of July, he has a 424, 88, 826 slash. Now, the 826 is not his OPS. That's his slugging percentage. Um, so he has nine home runs, 13 runs, 21 RBIs um, over the course of this past month. He sits safely in 16 of 21 games. Um, one of the big things that I've been preaching about Montero for the entire season is the plate approach and the discipline. That's something that really needed to improve. So... Um, over the course of July in 22 games, he's had a 10 to 18 walk to strikeout ratio in his previous 30 games. It was nine to 33. So cutting down the K's a little bit, a little bit more on the walks, but more than anything, that's just indicative of the approach improving from month to month. But I mean, the same way that Zach Veen just went bananas in July, Montero is the same and it's reflected in the season stats as well. So his season average rose from 224 to 280 the on base percentage had a 50 point jump from 320 to 370 and the slugging percentage jumped over 100 points from 425 to 539 so we talked about Veen. you know there's the excitement this is the first time that we're seeing it when we look at Montero this was kind of the guy that we were hoping we would acquire in that Nolan trade because that's kind of what he showed in 2018 in the Cardinal system that really put him on the map he had a rough 2019, brought his stock down a little bit, but now we're seeing that 2018 guy at least over the course of this past month. So it's been a really, really, really impressive month for him, and especially doing it in AA at a more advanced level for a team that's kind of really stuck in the mud for the entire season. It's been a really big bright spot, so a lot of encouraging things out of Montero this past month. All you guys out there in Hartford that have been checking this guy out have been absolutely spoiled. We've got at least one hitter at every affiliate that seems like is absolutely killing the game, and Montero definitely seems to be that guy for the Yard Goats right now. Um, you mentioned as far as his acquisition in the Arenado trade, it's real easy to point out Austin Gomber as the guy that is being acquired in that, just because he was the big leaguer that made the instant impact, and you know, his face is always going to be shrouded in. This is who we got for Arenado. And 
We did not see Montero at all in the minor leagues in 2020. We mentioned his 2019 stats. It seemed like it was a step back from what he even did in 2018. So just looking through what he was able to do, 2019 he worked up to double A, but his batting average in Springfield, the Cardinals double A affiliate, he was hitting under the Mendoza line. He was putting together an OPS of 552. So was this the kind of, I realized that this was, we couldn't get too selective perhaps in the Arenado deal for prospects as far as, you know, it was kind of, it seems like the Rockies took a perspective of, we're just going to try to put together a group of guys that have some level of recognition. Sure, you want to be able to get as best of prospects as possible. Mm -hmm. They sent Montero to the Arizona Fall League in 2019, but it was on the heels of kind of what amounted to a down season for him, and I suppose the Cardinals might have at least thought maybe they called him up into double-A a little too quickly. He was 20 years old at that point in time. So now 22, and I guess this is a cool discussion that I want to lead into, did not play at all. That was the 2020 season. Oh, we got a dog that loves yep. Montero. There you go. That was awesome right there. You never, you never know what you were going to get on the show, man. Hang on one second. <laughs> no, that's all good. At least cranking through what's been going on. It's been very interesting to follow. What exactly has gone in place with what he did in that fall league campaign? He hit again at that Mendoza line level. He OPS of 633, and that was a very limited body of work. He only stepped to the plate 60 times in his Arizona fall league season. But all of a sudden, the Cardinals were really looking at a guy that maybe he took a step back. Maybe he wasn't exactly the touted prospect that the Cardinals wanted him to be. And I'm curious to see what the Rockies might have seen in this guy just out of the immediacy of, is this really somebody that we feel can fill an immediate void? The Rockies have always kind of been deficient ever since Todd Helton retired. First base has kind of been an availability. Maybe it's a good choice to be able to go out and get a guy that is at least pretty reputable as far as he's got a good body of work of big league or of minor league experience, excuse me, dating back to when he was 16 years old and he first signed. So it seems the Rockies are really finally getting what they wanted out of this deal. Does this seem like this was kind of a consolation as far as what are the Cardinals kind of, I guess a good way to shape this is how do the Cardinals really feel about parting with this guy after their last at least taste of him was that down 2019 season? I think that there was a bit of a log jam um, in St. Louis's system in the first place that made it a little tougher on Montero. Uh, you talk about Nolan Gorman, and he has done nothing to dissuade uh, what he had been doing, you know, making him one of, if not the top prospect in uh, their system the for you know the past couple of years. Um, they also had a third baseman that they selected with their first pick, I believe it was in 2020 as well. So um, he kind of got put behind a little bit. Um, the bats always played. That's been the biggest thing with Montero. He... You can make the case that there was nothing left for him to prove in A-ball after the 2018 season, and that's the reason why they aggressively jumped him up to double-A in 2019. In hindsight, maybe it would have been better for him to, to stay in A-ball at that time. Um, but that made his stock dip along with the other players that were being put ahead of him in St. Louis's system. So I think it was a bit of a good buy-low candidate uh, for the Rockies in that trade. And then I think that the Rockies have also handled it pretty intelligently by making him kind of a corner infielder familiar at both third and first base, the way that we see Joshua Fuentes being utilized right now, too. He's gotten a little bit more steady over at third base. He's becoming a little bit more acclimated over at first base as well, too. You can't necessarily just look at errors and say, 
oh, this is the, you know, the, the metric that you can use to grade how well he's been as a fielder. Um, but at least from all the reporting, he's becoming adequate on, on both sides of the corner infield. You're never going to expect a gold glove caliber defense out of Ella Harris Montero, but you do expect a possible m- middle of the order bat. And he's going back to what he was before 2019, and it was that potential middle of the order bat. Uh, it's a 143 WRC plus at this point uh, for the Rockies, or excuse me, for uh, for Hartford this year. So you you take what you get out of him defensively. Um, you maybe became a little bit fortunate by acquiring him because he was stuck behind a couple other guys in the St. Louis system. And, and you know, credit where it's due for the front office for targeting maybe Montero too, seeing somebody that they could put back on track because that's certainly what he has done this season. I think you hit that nail on the head right there. And for all you kids at home, whenever you have a WRC pushing 150, that's mm-hmm. that's a pretty good. That that that's decent. That that's that's not bad. That's pretty darn good right there. <laughs> I suppose a good transition into what I was at least curious about. And I thought that this was kind of I hate to say an exciting development because it kind of came at the expense of Matt Adams and we certainly wish him the best being released from the Rockies just yesterday on Tuesday. The Rockies called up Rio Ruiz, and they ended up parting ways with Matt Adams. Again, another corner infield piece that it's. I thought this was kind of captivating to follow along because in 2019, you could maybe say that Montero got called up a little too soon to double-A, and now that Adams has not even been optioned down to triple-A, it seems like the kind of situation that Maybe this is going to open the door with Ruiz coming up to the big league ranks. There's a little bit of an infield opening in AAA. Is this something that the Rockies should be kind of avert? I mean, everything that Montero has put together this month certainly suggests that maybe it might not be a bad option to call him up if he continues doing what he's doing. But is there any reluctancy as far as, especially after last season, do you kind of just let him, well, after last season being canceled, that is, mm-hmm. do you kind of just let him ride it out right now and keep his morale, keep his momentum going in double A? Or is there any sense of an expedited thing of, you know, he's 22 years old. He still has plenty of time to continue to develop. But do you think that the Matt Adams release might have anything to do with Montero getting called up any sooner? I think it, at the very least, opens a path. If I were handling the situation, I would want Montero to leave Double A on a good note. Uh, so if he falls back down to earth in August and is scuffling a little bit, I think it's harder to push the issue of promoting him to finish the season in Triple A at that point. But if we're talking one week, two weeks into um, August, and Montero is still just absolutely demolishing the league then yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, the other thing is Colton Welker is going to be coming back from his suspension pretty quickly too. Yes, that's right. So that's the one thing that is kind of the the hitch in the road um, when it comes to that path being opened up in AAA. So it makes sense if you were to. It's not the end of the world or the worst thing, though, if you let him just completely devour A for an entire season with the expectation that he is at least going to start the season in AAA next year, if not maybe win a spot outright out of spring training. So I can see the merits for both arguments. I think that it's definitely a delicate sense, and the last thing you want to do is run into the same inconvenience that the Cardinals have already ran into. 
I think that as far as what the, at least taking a look at what the big league lineup is doing and seeing how the current landscape of corner infielders is, that could be more of a motivating determination to see how soon they might try to expedite this process. But at the same time, you know, just any sense of momentum that is invaluable in this mm-hmm. game of baseball. And that's definitely, it's fun to see him really at least coming into his own right now. And that's something that you certainly don't want to interfere as time goes on. I mentioned that, you know, there's not exactly a logjam in AAA for infielders right now with Adams choosing to be released, but there happens to be one player, and that guy is absolute journeyman Taylor Motter right now. He is 31 years old. He has played, I'm looking at his baseball reference page right now, and I pulled it, actually, I, I pulled the graphic into our, for those of you at home, we have a script every single episode just to monitor, you know, make sure we're following along with our topics, make sure it's clear and concise. So I took a screenshot of the baseball reference page for Taylor Motter, and this thing takes up literally half of the script. That's how long it is. It's, it's a soliloquy ridiculous. in the middle of our entire script. <laughs> I sent over the script last night, and I thought Kenneth was just going to think I was out of my mind for putting this together. <laughs> just so anyways, you know, he's yeah, no kidding. He seems like the kind of guy that maybe this is simply a AAA role player. I mean, just you need to have somebody like this, and hasn't played in the big leagues for quite some time. I'm scrolling through. 2018, I believe, was the last big league experience that mm-hmm. he had. He had time in the Atlantic League. He had time in the KBO last year. He went all over the place to be able to pull this together. So it finds his way back into AAA. He is currently slashing 326, 451, 746, which is good enough for an OPS of 1.197. Once again, stat talk for those of you kids at home. Any OPS over 1 is exceptional, needless to really say. Really, over 9, much less over <laughs> Yeah, <one>. no kidding. <laughs> So, anyways, is this the kind of thing, I realize, you know, I kind of am enamored by these kind of guys, you know, the, the older AAA players that might not necessarily see their name called up through this. Is this something that we see the multifaceted direction that, you know, Taylor Motter is taking any duty that he really can just to kind of stay in the position that he's in, but he's taking the most of it, too? Mm-hmm. Is this something, when we tie it back to Montero, all of a sudden we see a guy, is it possible to think that a 31-year-old infielder is going to get in the way of a 22-year-old infielder, or is that just something that's going to simply make it an easier discussion to kind of pawn off Montero to stay in A right now? I mean, it's definitely not the plan to, to make a path for Motter. Um, sure. I think that you, you like what you're seeing, and hey, if it keeps on going that way, then Motter is forcing the issue, but he has to try twice as hard as being the older guy as opposed to the prospect that they're trying to get into um, more reps, more action, see what they have. Um, and also, you know, there's a reason why he has a 10-year transcript, basically, of minor leagues and a lot of uh, work outside of the major league level. And you can't really dismiss the fact that that was 10 years of production that wasn't matching up <laughs> with his past month. And, you know, don't, don't buy too high into that. It was a crazy good month, don't get me wrong. I mean, he was, 50, he was 24 for 63 in July. 15 of his 24 hits were for extra bases, and 11 of those 15 were home runs. So, and it was a 15 to 18 uh, walk to strikeout ratio. So, super nutty month. Um, and it's been a very big threat in the Isotopes lineup, um, where there hasn't been a lot of that consistency throughout the season. If he does it for next year, too, let's say, 
and you're needing a bat, maybe Ruiz isn't working out, Montero's not quite ready, and, and Welker's not having, you know, the best cup of coffee, sure, then then you're looking at Motter as being that possible guy with it. But um, I don't see him necessarily forcing the issue yet just because he's had a pretty good stint in AAA this year after 10 years of kind of obscurity. Man, just, like, awesome content. Like, just cool. Like, just imagine this guy if he actually does get the big league call. Sure. I mean, <laughs> like, great. I, I want him to go full natural on it and then just get called yeah. up and, I don't know, Jose Batista, just out of nowhere. You're like, what is yeah, going on going, with this dude? What happened to this? Yeah, no kidding. That'd be sweet <laughs> if that's the case, but it's hard to say that he's proven that that's who he's going to be if, if you do bring him up. So, um, hey, man, Albuquerque needs hitters, too. You know, they, they need to go out true. and try to yes. win games. And if he keeps on doing it, great. And you know what? If he keeps on doing it for a pretty long stretch, then okay, he's forcing the issue. And hopefully it gets to that point. But I don't know. You just look at the numbers for what they are now, and you just shrug and go, huh, that's crazy. <laughs> and, you kind of just write it off yeah. almost by departure. Revisit it again. Recent, yeah, I'm trying to go back through the depths of – I think the Rockies did this was like Jay Payton back in 2010 or mm-hmm. something like this. Like if we really want to dig back. Yeah. Hey, I mean, man, it's always if, fun. If we're having oh, a bunch ahead. of 60 day IL stints towards the end of the season. <laughs> sure, man. Bring up Modder because worst case you end up DFA him and, you know, he, he tries his luck somewhere else with it. So <laughs> it's it's the break glass in case of emergency right now. Um, but I don't see the Rockies putting Moner in a position where he's going to be taking at-bats away from Montero when the time comes, from Welker when he's back, um, some of those other guys that are rising up behind him. Um, you just you let Moner go nuts now and then see where he is <laughs> at the end of the season, I guess. Sure, and rightfully so. It might end up being this guy's just pursuing Crash Davis status down there in Albuquerque. But, hey, I mean, that's better than nothing. I mean, that's that's a pretty darn good gig if a I say so A lot more than myself. I've done. <laughs> uh, we're going to take a short little break right here before we get there best of luck of course Rio Ruiz Taylor Motter El Hiras Montero very fun to follow along the content all these storylines that are taking place a lot of fun details going on taking place with those three guys as they continue pushing through the ranks pushing through to wherever that next rank may be if you're Taylor Motter in that department uh, we're going to send all you beautiful people off into the world with some newfound minor league insights as we walk you guys through the weekly rundown of past opponents, future opponents. Well, my, well, oh, goodness, excuse me. I was doing so good, man. I was about to do the paper snap like I was about to own that. Give the cost. <coughs> go again. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to walk you <laughs> we're gonna walk you guys through the weekly rundown of past opponents, future opponents, breakout players to watch. And as always, thanks again for tuning in to the Pebble Report Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pebble Report Podcast. At this point in time, we're going to walk you guys through the road ahead, the road behind us, all the cool details for each affiliate, starting from the top down, as always. Shout out to AAA Albuquerque, just concluded a six-game set on the road against the El Paso Chihuahuas. They went 3-3. Three and three. They scored as many as 10 runs in a game, as little as zero runs in a game. 
There was all sorts of different baseball action in that one, and El Paso's Chihuahua mascot is something else, man. Like, that's that, that's what we got right there. <laughs> I refuse to not call them the Chihuahuas. Oh, you have to. That's that's the default right there. I will right? say, though, Albuquerque has been playing uh, much better baseball over, you know, the, the past six weeks or so. So that is yes. encouraging to see. And it's fun to be able to at least follow. You know, every once in a while they might run into some tough offense or some tough opposing pitching, excuse me. And that might kind of tip the scale a little bit, kind of like they got shut out just the other day with some great Texas pitching. But at the same time, they're posting some serious runs and, again, really turned it around this past month. So shout out to the crew down there. Despite a lot of roster shakeups, we mentioned Ruiz getting called up. Connor Joe's been going back and forth. A couple other bats. We're going to see Welker back up into the mix, presumably in Albuquerque at some point. So a lot of cool stuff going on there. Moving on down the list, Double A Hartford. Last week they went two and four against the Bowie Bay Sox, a Baltimore affiliate. They lost four in a row, but they ended on a high note with a thirteen to six win. This week they're taking on the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. Oh yes. Love there it. There we go. The Yard Goats are back at home in a battle of four-legged creatures that eat grass, and I, I don't know what else they eat. I, I, do ponies eat grass? I guess they do, right? Uh, hey? I don't know. I'm assuming <laughs> that a diet between a pony and a horse is pretty similar. Welcome to the Pebble Report, brought to you by Animal Planet, boys and girls. Yeah. Nice. Well, who, obviously, who we have a very in-depth knowledge of equine science. <laughs> I don't know, My man. Apologies, I, any I dig, horse experts. <laughs> I dig, I dig the Rumble Ponies, though. That is a sweet <laughs> name. I think that's kind of appealing. Yeah, man. I mean, every time I hear him, I think about Tim Tebow playing for him, though. So I feel kind of weird. Uh, I don't go there, um, and it's probably a good thing. Otherwise, I would take away some <laughs> of the enjoyment for me. But like, I don't know. They did the Trash Pandas, and there, yeah. there are some that just feel very stolen. Rumble Ponies is some original weirdness, I feel like. It, and it, I really it still sounds that. appealing. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I could put on a uniform that says Rumble Ponies and feel proud of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like a trash panda. I'd feel like, what am I really doing here? I can't say it with a straight face, and I'm proud to be a member of them. That's how I feel about being a, a Rumble <laughs> Pony. Man, well, I mean, I guess while we're on the topic, if we had to see a mascot battle, who would win, a Rumble Pony or a Yard Goat? I, I'm going Pony. Personally. I mean, you yeah. put the name Rumble in it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm wondering, is that is that like a term of endearment or is that like an actual physical quality, though? I think uh, I, I, I think that it's a status. I think that it's just like yeah. it's a bar fighting horse. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's an adjective. Like, yeah, it's a descriptive method to share that this thing is ready. It's ready. To, it's not just any pony. This guy's ready to throw no. it out. It has a permanent black <laughs> eye. <laughs> and a yard goat is just some dude chilling in the yard. Yeah. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to bash but as I'm opposed to the living room goat, <laughs> the bathroom goat, the garage goat. Mm. There you go. <laughs> uh, down on the list, High A Spokane. Last week they went three and three against the Tri City Dust Devils on the road in Southern Washington. I know I have said this before, but if you get the chance, type in on Google the Tri City Dust Devils logo and tell us what you think. Seriously, tweet at us or something. Take a screenshot. We'll open up the discussion. We'll, we'll open it up for you guys, all right? I'm not going to share my opinions on it. We'll just we'll leave it there. That's your homework if you're tuning into the podcast. <laughs> this week, Spokane takes on the Vancouver Canadians. The series is at home in Spokane. Otherwise, it would be in Hillsborough, Oregon, as the Canada border remains closed to baseball travel. But no worries there. Spokane playing the home series. For those of you in the Spokane area, Thursday night is Hawaiian night. 
in Spokane. So if you're in the mood to enjoy some Hawaiian-themed action as a team from Canada, visit Spokane, Washington. Um, make sure you head. You're not going to want to miss this, folks, all right? You do whatever you got to do. You go down to a Vista Stadium on Thursday night. You're not going to want to miss this, folks. They just did the uh, Beerstein really. night, didn't they? That's right. They did that in Albuquerque. Yeah. I think it was. They're That's basically right. giving you just the whole Friday <laughs> evening on the porch setup right now. Just rock your Hawaiian shirt, <laughs> fill up your Beerstein, and just watch the sunset in Spokane, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know what more you can ask for. They're creating quality just... life out there. <laughs> you really want to soak it up out there in Spokane, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Move on down the list. I know we hit on Loe Fresno a little bit earlier in the program, but they are taking on the Lake Elsinore Storm this week. Again, more homework. Check out the Lake Elsinore hats. Um, they, I'm sorry, Fresno just finished up a set with the Modesto Nuts at home. They went 3-3 three and three in that set. Zach Fien continues to seal the show. Also, shout out to Sam Weatherly. He's got 90 strikeouts and 63 innings. He also has an ERA in the fives, which isn't great, but you know. Nuclelouche, baby. Fan of, yeah, there you go. If you're a big fan of some dude at a low age, it's absolutely, you don't know where it's going, but people are still swinging and missing, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know what? He hit the ball. Big fan. <laughs> big fan of Sam Weatherly. My kind of guy right there. And then after this said, the Grizzlies are soon about to play 12 consecutive home games. So a lot to be excited about if you're down there in the Fresno area. And a lot to be excited about up and down the Rockies affiliates. Um, We're probably going to bury ourselves into trade deadline coverage as soon as this podcast is finished up. But, you know, I mean, probably like most of the baseball world. But, you know, nonetheless, kick back, enjoy some Hawaiian night. Take a break if you're up there in Spokane. Fill up your beer, Stein. (laughs) Um, our last segment, as always, how we'll close out the podcast. We're going to pick our breakout player to watch. One guy that's going to be turning some heads or could be doing something cool. Kenneth, who's your guy for this week? I'm going to go with uh, Hunter Stovall. Um, he's kind of gotten lost in the mix a little bit in terms of good Julys behind Montero and Veen, but he was super solid uh, for Spokane over this past month. Uh, he had a 328, 418, 463 slash line. Uh, they have Vancouver coming up. He was 8 for 20 in the last series against Vancouver. Uh, look, he's going to be a limited skill set kind of guy, a little bit. He was a 21st-round pick, I believe, out of Mississippi State. Yes, so that's you, right. you kind of don't have you know the, the highest ceiling aspirations for him. But he'll walk a little bit. Uh, he's got a .63 walk to strikeout, a 12.5 walk percentage. Those are both kind of in or hovering around the top 10 in the, uh, the farm system. A little bit of speed as well, too, with 17 stolen bases this year. So he'll get some contact. He'll draw some walks. He'll play some decent uh, field, or he'll be decent in the field for you. 113 WRC plus. It could be kind of a good find. You know, uh, we're not talking about an all star on this one, but it could be a productive fifth infielder, bench bat type of guy that could be developing in the system. So at the very least, he deserved a shout out. He'll be going against Vancouver again. He's got some success, so I'm going with Hunter Stovall. Absolutely. I think that's a very good pick. He's pushing 25 down there in low A, so he might not exactly be the most highest touted of prospects, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, definitely someone that deserves some recognition and somebody that you never know. If he keeps doing what he's doing, if he keeps dominating the game, you could see him moving up the ranks and doing something always solid to follow along with guys like that, especially Defying the odds. odds. There you go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with another, I guess, elder statesman for respect to the level that they're currently at. I am going to go with Frank Duncan, AAA Albuquerque pitcher, 29 years old, called up from AA on July 1st. 
He's got four appearances for Albuquerque, three starts, 21 and a couple, 21 and two-thirds innings for Albuquerque this year. ERA is right around a 2-5, and he just tossed four scoreless innings in relief on Monday night. So, again, 29 years old, not exactly a young guy, journeyman that's already played for four different organizations, yet to crack the big leagues for any of them. But he's showing that he's got something to prove. I always like these kind of stories, kind of like the Winton Bernard story outfielder. They might get a little bit buried as younger players go up and down with options, but they keep clawing it out in AAA. Hopefully for those great stories, kind of like Taylor Motter, Frank Duncan, keep pulling through. We'll see what happens. And I guess in the same department, that same kind of storyline going on for Hunter Stovall down there. A lot of cool stuff. I mean, we're, we're looking out for the people that might not necessarily be the touted dudes. Yeah. So by all means, if, if one of these comes together, you know you know who to come and find and give us, show us some love if something really happens. With Make the guys. most of your opportunities. And Duncan has been <laughs> solid. I mean, he's brought some st- uh, stability to a AAA staff that has not really had it this year, too. So. Yes. Um, and also, especially being decimated when they lost Joe Harvey and now Zach Roskup, who was dominating. It could be kind of cut and dry for Frank Duncan to come through and do some stuff yeah he has the most mechanic sounding name i've ever heard too frank duncan yeah. what's not to love man that's pretty solid i love it <laughs> america that's it that's season that's good details right there keep doing it frank <laughs> that's gonna do it for our program ladies and gentlemen we are thrilled we are so thrilled to be bringing back the pebble report podcast be sure to check us out on twitter you can find kenneth at kw 1988 Myself at Just Wick Purple Row all over Twitter as well, and a special thanks to all of our colleagues at SB Nation. Also, want to give a shout out to our Affected by Altitude podcast. Those three guys absolutely killing the game: Mac Wilcox, Mac Wilcox, Skylar Timmons, and Evan Lang, doing some great work coming out with podcasts, kind of on alternating days with the stuff that we're putting together. So always some good podcasting details to follow from the Purple Row crew. And a huge thank you to all of our minor league affiliate medias throughout the Rocky system. Thanks for all of you guys for tuning in. On behalf of my co-host and Purple Row writer, Kenneth Weber, I am Justin Wick of Purple Row. Looking forward to bringing you this all season long and having, a, having an absolute blast doing it. And until next time, let's play ball.